Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Papahood Podcast. Well, as it goes, we here on the Papahood Podcast talk to interesting dad and parents who often assume that kids are busy dwelling in their own innocent minds, worlds, and spaces only where we want. But they are actually soaking in and observing a lot more. Now, all of us would agree with that, wouldn't we? While some voices out there are observations as a comment, desire, or a demand, the rest of these kids ponder and build traits that shape their future. Well, my name is Stephen Brass, your host on the Papahood podcast, and I'm here with a very interesting papa. Rohan Nabar is a great dad of two sons. They're 10 and 5. And his humble lifestyle as a child has molded him to be a wonderful person. I know him for a while now, so I can vouch for that. Who enjoys in giving both to his family and to his community. I don't want to take away too much time with the introduction of Rohan, but Rohan professionally is a globally certified thought leader and design thinking practitioner. He's an ardent fan of reading and a firm believer that this habit is life altering. And I can't disagree with him. We come from a similar or same industry. So reading is something we do well. It's an addiction sometimes, I'll be honest with you, right? So, Rohan, without further ado, welcome to the Papahood podcast. And what did I miss about your introduction? Uh, absolutely nothing, honestly. Firstly, thanks, Adan, Steve, for having me on the podcast. It's an honor and, um, and a privilege to be with you. Um, and I think you kind of oversold, I would say, right? So, uh, you'd always prefer to undersell and over-deliver, but you started perhaps on that note. Rohan... If I older, oversold it, mm, forgive me, but I'm telling the truth. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as tradition goes, mm -hmm. we start with a dad joke. Sure. Let's go. Great. So um, why do dads carry an extra pair of socks uh, to the golf course? Oh, I know this one. It is just in case they get a hole in one. Absolutely. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> one dad to another. Yep. Don't we all carry an extra pair sometimes? Absolutely. I've got one, Ron. Why are elevated jokes so classic and good? Guessing and uh, perhaps guessing for long, so you can definitely go close that one for us. Because they work on so many levels. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that is classic dad joke, isn't it? <laughs> Man, my kids keep telling me about these dad jokes one after the other. Mm -hmm. And I try to beat them, you know, and obviously fail miserably. <laughs> Rowan, let's jump straight into it. Sure. Is parenting easy? Your thoughts? Uh, I'd say that, uh, you know, parenting as perhaps any other role uh, in life doesn't obviously come very easy. Uh, the one thing that I probably want to add on to that is the fact that it's super fulfilling. So um, while there may be multiple levels 
to the job of parenting, um, you know, being a dad, that is. Uh, but, you know, the joy of watching uh, something that you've created grow right in front of you um, is, uh, is super fulfilling. So I've got two boys. The older one is 10 and the younger one is five. Um, and watching both of them grow, um, I think, uh, makes it feel easy, even if it may not be. Well put. I remember a friend telling me the best investment is our children. Absolutely. Because we can literally watch them grow. Spot on. Another dad joke. But think about it. Huh? You're right. Absolutely. And I can't agree more. It is such a fulfilling role, right? Having said that, what according to you are the top three habits a father must inculcate? In themselves. And I'm just going to yep, sort of... Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think uh, the, the role of a father essentially... Um, so I'll just give you a quick um, uh, back context and then jump into those three things. One says that, you know, when you get married, perhaps life changes, right? But I think, uh, I don't think that's true. I think when you have your child is when perhaps life changes. Uh, and when you have a second one, I think, you know, uh, perhaps uh, exponentially changes. Um, so, you know, with, th with that sort of background, I think in, in mind, a few things that's, that's required, essentially, when you're also becoming a dad, there's a professional life besides where you're taking a whole lot of responsibilities and there's responsibility at home. I think a few very, very important things that are uh, that one must look at. One is, of course, is, um, you know, to, to have a listening ear, um, whether you've probably got very young kids who just go around and they're not really even, you know, uh, speaking uh, something sensible, but you're sort of giving them the time, listening to, uh, to them and making them express themselves, I think, um, is one thing that one really needs to develop. Whether you possess that uh, to begin with or not, I think one must, as a dad, definitely have that, right? The second very important thing uh, that one needs to have as a parent, as a dad, uh, is the ability to um, to let go, right? A lot of times we think that, um, you know, here is my child and I need to take decisions for him or her. Um, or in that sense, you know, uh, what's defined as helicopter parenting, right? I think one needs to be able to ensure that uh, you do your bit um, and then, um, you know, there are some things that the child does uh, himself or herself. So that's the second thing to be able to, uh, let go. And the third thing I think is, I'm not sure whether we could really call that a habit, right? Uh, but you may try and teach, you know, anything that you'd like to a child, but if you're not practicing it, right, that it, it's a, it's pretty much a waste. So uh, it's about practicing what you preach, I think is, is super important. You can't just tell the child that you ought to be honest and then in your, uh, you know, the way you carry yourself, you're not that. I think it's just a, a total waste. So let's say if you're a giver, and then you teach your child that you actually need to be giving, then um, there is a sink in what you're saying and what you're doing. Um, and the child picks up what you're doing versus what you're saying. Interesting. And it's three very important habits. One is listening. I love that, that you say that, because I think, and coming from our professional worlds as well, we talk about that so much, isn't it? Right. That's one. I love the fact that you mention letting go, the ability to let go. Because I think inertly as a, as a father, especially when we have young kids, right? Right. We want to control everything, isn't it? We, we, we have that. So it's beautiful. And uh, practice what you preach. Well, can't blame you for that. I want to ask you then, what do you think is a perfect parent? All the perfection is, is a dream. But what is your version of a perfect, perfect parent? Sorry. No, well said. And and you're absolutely right. Uh, there is no one perfect parent in that sense. 
but there's one uh, sort of philosophy that um, that I adopt, which I think could help us work well uh, as a parent to a child, um, and that I think comes from, uh, like you said, the space of learning and development that we come from. So I'm a huge um, a fan and proponent of psychometrics, and so you know about understanding people and adapting yourself. And there's a book that I uh, you know kind of picked up a couple of years ago, and that really has. Uh, at least the way I'm looking at parenting really changed um, the way I approach right things. Uh, it's uh, it's the book called uh, Nature by Nurture, right? And it essentially talks about uh, you know you have a certain personality type, your child has a certain personality type, right? And two of your children have two different personality types, right? So how does your handling of your child as a, as a human being you know change based who they are? So a lot of times parents basically would uh, sort of, I'm not sure if I'm using the right word, but sort of pile on uh, what they would have as dreams or what they should have accomplished uh, onto their children. Sometimes I've observed that around. Um, but I think, you know, every child is very different. What they want and what they like, you know, are very different. So how do you handle them uh, very differently in my mind uh, is something that would make the parent feel comfortable and would make the child feel comfortable with the parent as well. And to me, that's something that is at least as a philosophy, if not, right, wrong, but an approach. Mm. I like that, the book, I've not read it, but I've heard about it. That is nature by nurture. I mean, you're talking to a dad with four kids, right? Right. Each of them have their own beautiful, unique person personality. And as a parent, I think one of the things both my wife and myself have obviously gotten used to is as they grow, we, we're seeing their own beautiful personalities coming out, right? And how each of them uh, attack, if, uh, for the lack of a better word, any particular you know situation. And it's very interesting. Rowan, it's, it's easy to say this, right? When we have four kids, three kids, two kids, whatever, mm -hmm. and understanding their personalities and all of that, which is great. But let's be real. I've lived in the real world. I've seen... I've experienced, and I know that a lot of those experiences aren't very, how should I say, nice or good. Mm -hmm. How do we teach them that? Keeping in mind their own personalities. Wonderful. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, you're you're not necessarily teaching your child that there's an ideal world out there and uh, this is how things would pan out. Is what I actually learned in my childhood, uh, you know, through my parents, which is essentially, uh, you know, uh, and you probably hear these in quotes, but I actually do genuinely practice this, right? It is to say that life is not, uh, or rather life is 99% uh, about how you deal with things and 1% about what happened to you, right? So it's, um, or it's the other way around, saying not 1% about what happens to you, but 99 the way you deal with them. And uh, so essentially it is to say that, uh, you know, don't hold grudges against people uh, if something goes wrong um, or don't have expectations the way beyond because that's a secret sauce for, you know, um, sort of, how shall I say, you know, a disappointment, if you will. Um, and so I'd say that, you know, deal with things, whatever uh, life throws at you, um, and you should be able to sort of navigate through that. And that's mm. my mantra, uh, you know, as I've grown up, and I sort of passed it on to my kids as well. Beautiful. And I like the way you brought in your experience. Towards the end, there, you mentioned how you've grown up. So let me ask you that then. Sure. What and how and who have been your biggest influences in you know in your formative years? 
Sure. Uh, so I think both of my parents have been phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, I think I spoke about one of the three things that uh, as habits uh, are important, right? Practice what you preach. Uh, that comes to me from my parents because they very seldom uh, said something and I saw them being incongruent with what they do, right? Um, uh, and that for me is is a sort of important thing. So they have been, uh, both my mom and dad have been very, very strong influences uh, in my life. And, and if I were to sort of look at specifics that make me sort of bring this to the fore, my dad, uh, you know, growing up, whether it was uh, his professional colleagues, whether it was family, whether it was friends, whether it was us, you know, uh, he's always been uh, there for them in difficult times. Um, so whenever there is a challenge uh, in the family, they, the first person to think of is my dad, right? Um, and this is essentially about giving. Um, so whether there is somebody, uh, you know, senior in the family who's unwell, um, you know, whether there is some, you know, something that may have gone wrong with, let's say, something at work, etc. They would always look at, um, you know, support coming in from dad. And when he says help everybody, it's not just conceptually, but we saw him do that. Um, and so uh, that comes to me naturally now uh, in terms of giving, um, you know, uh, people first before ever even thinking of expecting something to come from them. Mm. So that's one. Uh, the second and very interesting thing about my mom actually is uh, whoever meets me and my mom or vice versa, first her and me, basically say, hey, you look like exactly each other. And there's a smile and they said, and the smile is far similar, you know, to, to, uh, to each of you essentially. Um, so, you know, the, the similarity is not just, let's say, you know, in terms of um, um, the, the way we look, but also the way, uh, you know, we operate. Um, and, uh, you know, we're both introverts in some way, right? Uh, but at the same time, um, being able to connect with people across, uh, you know, so uh, I've seen both of these things, uh, you know, come in from my dad and my mom. And I think they've come in, you know, nature as well. And I think uh, nurture through the first few years. Absolutely. Oh, beautiful. I love the way you say, the habit that you believe a father must inculcate, you have learned from your your parents. Absolutely. Which is, you know, basically your parents walking the talk. Man, that is, that is powerful. Absolutely. So, uh, Steve, one uh, incident comes to my mind. I'm just going to take the liberty to share that. Please. So, growing up in school, uh, I think I must have been in primary school. And uh, we had this... Um, so, you know, Fevicol is obviously a very, very famous brand of adhesives. Uh, and there was one particular brand trying to make it, this is back in Mumbai, mm -hmm. uh, trying to make its presence felt called Vamicol, right? And, and I don't think this was really, you know, that famous. So I'm not even sure whether it was available in Bangalore or you'd heard of that. Mm. Now, to be able to try and make this um, famous, uh, what they had essentially done was um, to be able to create these uh, 3D craft uh, items that were kept in schools. And if, uh, if, and there were days when kids had to come together and put this together, the only way they could participate in that was if they had a VAM called tube, mm -hmm. right? And essentially, uh, I remember this conversation that I had with my dad and my mom with my dad as well to say that, hey, you know, tomorrow is the day that Rohan needs to, you know, use, get a VAM called tube and use it. Um, and dad would travel pretty far. Mumbai distances are not very close by, you know, for work. Um, and on the way back, he sort of, um, you know, got back a, a little bit late. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, uh, whatever stores were open, I think you would have probably gone to about four or five hardware stores. Unfortunately, you know, Vamicol wasn't available. Um, and how, you know, how a dad basically would he said, hey, look, there's an adhesive. 
he picked a heavy call and came in right now late in the night uh, sort of you know imagine the child thinking <laughs> you know i'm not going to be able to do that 3d art tomorrow uh, but you know whenever i think about that uh, situation now really um, and look at what probably he had to go through the whole evening you know a long day at work traveling back you know in mumbai trains not an easy thing to do yep. and then look for so there's a family joke right to say that hey so do you want a family call on the <laughs> yeah so and that's him right oh fantastic that's a lovely story talking about giving and you know being uh, of big heart my dad when i was in the second or third standard he used to work abroad and those days telephone calls i'm talking this was what 81 82 mm-hmm. and uh, no telephone calls it was all letters and stuff like that right. and obviously mum and myself and my sister it was the three of us at the time were missing him right and uh, so one day i'm sitting in school and suddenly i hear this commotion from the from the you know corridor and i'm wondering what's happening and i can hear the commotion getting closer to our classroom and i remember turning around and seeing my dad standing there with this whole bag of chocolates wow he went up to the teacher and he said listen i'm sorry ma'am for your disturbing your class but i've just come to see you know i've just landed and uh, i want to give all the kids in steve's class chocolates i hope you don't mind luckily it was like last 5 minutes or something of the class of the period and she said yes mm-hmm. ah man i can never forget that time and uh, i got an it was a beautiful surprise after that because i went back home right. and i had this huge fish tank waiting for me i just imagine wow uh, so those days but well, talking about giving and being big hearted completely get what you're saying ron i know that you're a practitioner of ikigai right yep how has that helped you from a parent perspective typically we look at it from a professional point of view from a parent perspective what do you think interesting and uh, you know that actually brings me another analogy i want to sort of bring down at the table for saying more so you know you talk about let's say when you uh, at work you know folks become managers and then they have people to manage a lot of times the exchange is extremely transactional in nature you know do this do that directions and sometimes you know terrible feedback going to your team members etc and that's probably the journey of every first time manager and when i've seen that like you said at work to be able to help managers look at their team members as human beings right uh completely uh, sort of flips the switch uh, so today your team members performing very well tomorrow he or she is not rather than necessarily saying hey look you know you're doing terrible to basically go and listen to them saying hey what's wrong you know you you are a super performer you've been doing well uh but i see something slipping you know what's the matter is there something i can help now when i've looked at uh, my uh, approach to managerial development and leadership development in that way uh it's about uh, you know managers being more um looking at their team members as human being before professionals now how does that uh, parallel sort of translate uh, into into parenting right a lot of times um your child is uh, sort of trying to communicate things from their points of view you know their uh, lens of how they look at life um and you would probably be in the middle of some thought about work or perhaps some worries and tension um uh, and you may sometimes end up necessarily sort of you know how shall i say you know sort of raising your voice or saying something to your child inappropriately right and then if you were to look at your child actually as a human being who's experiencing life 
and bringing that to what you're doing. To me, um, hence, you know, looking at every individual as a human being and making an impact to their lives. Um, and so when you look at your kids, when you look at, uh, you know, your parents, when you look at perhaps, you know, extended family, and then of course, you know, people, friends and work, um, that's the quality that, uh, or that's the thought process that I bring in. Uh, and to me, that's Ikigai. So bringing uh, my, my uh, purpose in life is to be able to help people get better and, and live their best, right? Uh, and I'm able to do that to my, uh, or at least attempting to do that for my kids, um, is where I get to live my ikigai. When I've when I've used ikigai myself, and you rightly you rightly said that it brings in so much more of empathy, right? right. Because it it talks about us literally putting ourselves in what our team members are going through professionally. But at home, if I can just step back from being a dad from the challenges we face the anxieties if it's going right if it's going wrong but and to put them put ourselves into our child's shoes sure and i love that rohan and uh, yeah ikigai if anybody's listening and you don't know what ikigai is look it up beautiful beautiful concept rohan at times we feel that a parent stands a strong chance of feeling like everything is failing Right, I've been through that, and how do you handle that? What do you do? Yeah, so interesting. Um, you know, I think that's a possibility in any uh, facet or sphere of life where you think you're doing what you can, but things aren't going uh, your way. Now, in any other aspect, but parenting, I think it's easier to be dispassionate and to say, you know, I don't care. But I think with your kids, you can't quite uh, sort of do that. But I guess um, what I've learned over the years, and I think um, you know, looking at my older one when he was born. Every sneeze, we would take him to the doctor. Um, and uh, eventually, in fact, a few doctors told us that, look, uh, you know, I think next time, uh, look for level two and level three symptoms before you come in, right? Um, and with the second one, whenever he would fall and hurt himself un until there's some blood oozing out where it's, it's okay, you know, he's going to get up and uh, get okay. So I think uh, as a parent, there's a journey as well um, in being able to figure that all is not going to be the way you'd want it to, right? And every human being is resilient to be able to deal with it. So when I look at that, I see things that I can do my best um, and post that, I think, you know, um, I let go. And so uh, borrowing one of the habits that we said at the beginning, which is to be able to let go. I, I think that gives you a lot more mental peace as a parent. Sure. You know, because the sooner you learn to let go, the child learns a lot more and your stress levels also reduce considerably. So, yeah. I agree. Yeah, that's that's a good approach. That's a good approach. Not easy, by the way, Steve. Let, let, let me put the caveat there. Yeah. It does not mean that it comes easy, but you know, one needs to oh, yes. consciously do that. Yep. I've been through that four times. So, <laughs> right now, I think my 10-year-old, my which is the youngest, just gets him gets himself up and walks to the uh, doctor or the medical cabinet. <laughs> right. And now he's gotten used to it. Rowan, I want to talk about the work world, right? Not only the work world, but separation, remarriage, divorce, sex, sexual preferences, you know, different genders. You and I didn't grow up with that. Right. So if your child comes up 
you know, encountering one of those things. Mm -hmm. How do you handle it? How do you normalize that conversation? Uh, that's a good one. I think, uh, you know, the society was very different as we grew up. Uh, and it's very different today. Uh, so sensibilities are very different. Um, second is the access to information, I think, is something that the kids have a whole lot more than perhaps we had as we grew up. Uh, and so we need to realize the fact that they're living in a, or growing up in a very different world than we did. So, you know, as parents, and I think I've learned a whole lot of this from my wife, uh, I must admit it's, it doesn't come very naturally to me, but essentially, uh, you know, observing any of these, which <clears throat> we could probably term as taboo um, or, you know, um, something you can't talk to your parents about, right, is something the way I grew up, you know, being uncomfortable speaking about some of these things. But me and my wife, basically, we've uh, had this philosophy to say that the child should be extremely comfortable to be able to come and speak with us, even if they feel um, that it's inappropriate. Like, let's say among friends, there's, there's a discussion and they talk about it should be hush-hush. But, you know, it is so for us, the younger one is quite young at the moment. But the older one, for example, does, um, you know, and over the years has sort of come in and shared if he's heard something uh, which he feels is inappropriate or something that's i mean not normal <laughs> yeah and so to keep it keep the channel open and for them to be able to do that uh, one thing that we try and do as parents if we were to hear something like that our reactions can't suddenly be oh my goodness and you know um, <laughs> so so that's one thing we try and do and then let them speak about it and of course a lot of times um, we need to tell them that you know uh, that you can obviously speak about anything to us but let's say in the in the social world, there are some things that you can't, you know, how shall I say, do or speak about perhaps, which is essentially, you know, you probably hear people uh, in a closed space perhaps, right? Uh, uh, in a social space, in a restaurant uh, or, or wherever else, you need to conduct yourself in a certain manner. Um, those are the things that they need to know. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they can um, they can be pretty much themselves with, with us. I like that. And I think this is crucial keeping communication lines open, creating that safe space that irrespective of what they see, hear, or even experience, they come up and can talk to us about this. And I would prefer that they come talk to me and my wife, right? right. Because at the end of the day, I don't want them to be, not that I don't want them, but I'd rather prefer them, they come talk to me than go to a friend or to a peer, which I'm sure they're doing Anyways, so yeah, absolutely. Rowan, what has been the most life altering factor for you as a dad? Um, very difficult. I think there's quite a few, you know, that, that I could uh, think about. But one of the moments uh, that uh, that I recollect essentially is um, is when I held my older one in my you know arms for the first time. I realized that you know there is no going back. There's no rewind button sort of from here on, right? Life really, really uh, changed. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, with the, with the older one, of course, post uh, his birth, I think work had been super, super busy. Uh, so I probably, um, I'd say, you know, spent limited time with him. I wouldn't say not any, but limited. Uh, but with a younger one, um, you know, um, he was born at a time when uh, work was far more stable. So I spent the nights with him and then mornings at work and uh, you know all of that so i would say that uh, and then of course there was covid so you know uh, while here uh, we spent a whole lot of time together so 
Uh, I think the first one was a significantly life-changing experience. Uh, and the second one now, watching him, uh, you know, grow, which I couldn't as closely for the older one, True. is altering life every, uh, in every short, short span of time. Well said. I remember the first time I held my 18-year-old my today. But uh, the first time I remember, I mean, it just changes everything, isn't it? Absolutely. Beautiful memory. In fact, I remember my wife saying, are you sure you know how to handle a child? You know, <laughs> you know he's a few minutes old, right? So <laughs> I, I didn't have that problem. But, you know, I was scared to sleep at the side of him because he was so tiny, right? And I was always scared that I would roll or throw my hand on him that could hurt the kid. Right. But so I always made sure I never fell asleep at the side of him, but I was awake when I was you know, uh, near him, especially on the bed for those first few years. Awesome. Right. Rohan, this is, I think, the toughest question I want to ask you. Sure. Define fatherhood. That's tough. Um, I'm going to give it a shot. I think when you start to forget who you are, right, and, um, okay, this is tough. Let me... <laughs> Take it out. Yeah, let me, let me um, sort of gather my thoughts um, on this, I think, um, so until becoming a parent, right, you literally see everything in front of your eyes. You've, you've, you know, looked at parents, friends, family, etc. And I think when, uh, when your child is born, right, uh, the focus is a lot, um, always, and, and rightly so, right, with the child, uh, and with the mother and are they all okay? That's the question that people would ask when you say that you've, you know, had a child. Uh, very rarely this question asked as a dad, you know, uh, how are you feeling and, and what's going through uh, your mind? So I think uh, the ability to, uh, you know, balance emotion and logic, to me, um, that is sort of fatherhood. So one of my colleagues had said this to me, and, and this comes to my mind, I think he said this in 2013, about a decade ago, mm -hmm. his words sound true even now. He said that, uh, he said it when my older one was born, uh, that you can try and do 10 times uh, what a mother would do, right? Uh, but they would basically, the, the child would basically turn around and say, you know, you know just, just, you know, <laughs> I want my mom, right? And, uh, uh, and in fact, you know, that, that just reminds me of another thing. Um, there is, uh, and I'm just going to try and, uh, I, I like different languages, so I'm just trying to use a couple of languages to call a couple of things out, right? So uh, my mother tongue is Marathi, um, you know, I'm from Mumbai. And uh, of course, a whole lot of, you know, conversations also happen in Hindi, essentially. And whenever somebody's heard, right, the first thing that they say in uh, Marathi is Aiga, which is essentially mum, right, or mum. And mm. uh, in Hindi as well, it's about Oma, you know, which is basically, again, about the mum. So in the, what my, my colleague had said is that in spite of whatever you would do, right, uh, it's essentially the, the child is connected to the mother, uh, you know, from way long that you... Uh, no, and so for them, it's always that. So as a father, being able to bring everything that you can, knowing that you would never be number one. Mm. Uh, to me, that is fatherhood or fatherhood. Oh, lovely. You know, I, I'm reminded of Dimitri, the, the stone heart. I don't know if you've heard about him, but there's a quote that he talks about. He says, a father doesn't tell you he loves you. Yep. He shows you, you know. It's so interesting. And I just remember that because you were talking about walking the talk, right. uh, how your parents showed you the habits 
practice what you preach. And that's how I think mainly our kids learn, right? If I remember correctly, there was another quote by George Herbert. Oh, if I, I don't know, remember if I'm, if I'm th- remembering that correctly. He says, a father is equal to a thousand schoolmasters. Right. So it's so interesting that we learn so much from our fathers and our mothers as well. Let's not forget that, yeah. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Rowan, it's, it's an understatement if I say, if I'm have, I've had a wonderful time talking to you on this beautiful role of being dads. And I appreciate your time. I've learned so much from today's. I'm going to read out my notes. I hope you don't mind. Yep. The pleasure is all mine. Yep. Go ahead, Steve. Thank you, Rohan. You know, you, you, talk, you talked about those three habits, listening to our kids, our ability to let go. I mean, we are creatures of control. So asking a dad to let go or a mom to let go, not easy. Practice what you preach. Uh, Coach Bo, our first uh, guest here on season two, he, he inverted that. He said, preach what you practice. Right? Tell the world what you're doing for your kids Absolutely. as well. And uh, you said, I love the Vami call example. I'm going to use that, by the way. <laughs> and uh, well, you used Ikigai, so lovely concept. And that's beautiful as well. Ron, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before we go, we're going to ask you for the last words of wisdom to our listeners, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I'm not quite sure if I'm qualified to share any words of wisdom, uh, but I'm going to say one thing, right? I remember when um, I went through the first year of my older one, I kept saying that, you know, my respect for parents is, uh, you know, gone up a few notches knowing, you know, what they would have gone through, right? Uh, but what I realized, and as I observed my parents as well, you know, my dad's, you know, 70 plus and my mom's nearing 70, I see that parenthood is a journey. It's not that you had kids who went to school uh, and you dropped them and uh, now they've grown up, right? Uh, there are multiple things that your uh, kids go through. And for your uh, parents, you know, 40 plus and you're still a child. <laughs> uh, and so I would say uh, papahood and, 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 and parenthood in general is a journey that never ends, right? So um, as an individual, I think one must keep learning, uh, one must keep growing, um, and one must keep giving, right? So that's basically uh, what I would just share um, has been something I have observed and learned and something I try and practice. Rohan, you've always been a humble colleague and professional before our conversation today. Today, you've reiterated and proved that thoroughly. You're right. You know, it's it's a constant journey. I like to believe that parenthood, and in this case, since we're talking about dad's fatherhood, it's the longest designation we will ever hold, right? Absolutely. Thank you for uh, being here with us and spending your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure our guests are going to take away and enjoy this conversation. Thank you for adding to our knowledge of being dads. And well, everybody, if you don't mind, on behalf of all of you, I'm going to say thank you to Rohan. You know the drill. Share, like, follow, double tap. Do it all. Spread the word. Tell the world about the Papahood podcast. Wherever you are, stay safe and stay blessed.